remember, I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> You built the time machine? What a DeLorean? Young Adult Cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. My fabulous co-host, Annie Goodman, is off for the evening. She's a journalist and young adult breast cancer fighter. We are your hosts for The Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy with me, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listen to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. Tonight's show is all about Pinktober and breast cancer action. It is October, which is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, all across the world is uh, changing tanks. We'll be joined tonight by our friends from Breast Cancer Action, a national grassroots education and advocacy organization fighting to achieve health justice for all women at risk and living with breast cancer. Joining us will be Dr. Angela Wall, who's their communications director, and Annie Sarter, who's in charge of policy and campaign coordination. And our Survivor Spotlight on Sephora Razor, all returning champions. Also, uh, we are not live tweeting tonight, but if we were, we would be uh, broadcasting from at Chemodeck using the hashtag SC Radio. So feel free to uh, tweet on our behalf tonight. And uh, our fabulous Maureen Tweet is uh, also enjoying the heat of Southern California. So it is time for the show. We're giving Twitter a break for the night. Yeah, poor Twitter. Their servers. Yes, welcome to all of our guests and our listeners here on uh, tonight's show. Yes, we are. Always thrilled to turn pink for October, but in the best kind of way by poking a stick at the ridiculousness that it has become. Um, up until recently, apparently, we had a website called uh, pinknausea.org, uh, pink but it was a repository of people to post photos of erroneously ridiculous pink products, which really had no thoughts or bearing in reality. And uh, we totally respect the need for awareness months and the amount of attention breast cancer gets clearly has made a significant difference. But, you know, there's a certain gray area, I suppose, 
where you can toe the line between audacity and just plain ridiculousness. And once you get the pink porta potties, I think you kind of have to call a spade a spade and say this is just not okay. But we would invite anyone who uh, thinks this is an equally ridiculous thing to post ridiculous things on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash stupidcancer. We'd love to see what you guys think um, are the most ridiculous products of Pink Nausea uh, 2014, right? That's the year, 2014? That's, yes. that's the one we're in. <laughs> and I, I'm finding myself doing that where I can't commit to writing 2015 right. on future things. And it's just going to be 2014 again. Well, for anyone in the audience born in the 70s and raised in the 80s, uh, Back to the Future Part 2 takes place in the year 2015. So it's kind of freaky that we all saw that movie, and next year is the year that that movie took place in. I think it means you're old. I am old. This is totally an old person thing. Yes. Completely and entirely an old person thing. Yep. So anyway, what has uh, been your interesting observations? I've, I've just been trolling the interwebs for... The ridiculous backlash, we typically have breast cancer action on every year. In fact, we actually have breast cancer action on every year to talk about what they've been up to fighting the good fight. But any, I'm wondering if it's over. The end of pink? Yeah. As if last year was kind of the, like the, the peak of the mountain and now we're coming down where I think people are almost as equally aware of breast cancer as they are pink. Yeah. I think that's where we're at. This is your first yeah. official Pinktober with us, Mal. It is my first official Pinktober. Um, so, so you're 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 not a survivor, thankfully. You're on the outside of the sphere a little bit. But yes. up until then, what's been your experience with October as a consumer? Preparation for all the pink. Yeah. And seeing lots of pink and tons of pink all over the place, and buying items that were unknowingly buying buying items that were pink because they were pink, and I like pink. Right. Um. And also, if it's pink and I like the color pink, then it does something good. Why not just buy it as opposed to buying the regular item that I normally would buy? So you are on the receiving end of all of this. You are the archetype consumer who has been taken advantage of. I was a sheep. Wow. I was a sheep. So that's the whole fiasco we're going to be discussing tonight and apparently every broadcast this October on how you can be really smart and intelligent because, you know, people really don't want to write checks sometimes. They just want to feel like they're doing something, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there are truly legitimate campaigns out there um, to, uh, you know, how you make a difference in breast cancer, but some of them are not really, you know, taking a dump in a pink porta potty. They should be taking it on the pink porta potty. <laughs> just ridiculous. I did post that on my wall recently, and, and it got a lot of hits and a lot of comments. It's just something that. Again, I think, Kenny, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, people are – maybe it hit a saturation point last year, and now people are just so aware we've crossed the event horizon. Yeah. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. I know. Anyway, so uh, before we bring in our, our guest tonight, returning champion support Razor, uh, I will be traveling tomorrow to um, Southern California to join our fellow staff members, uh, Maureen Sweet and Allie Ward at the uh, Fall Conference of SAO, S-A-Y-A-O. For those of you out there, it is the Society for Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology. And this year's conference is around ALL, which is Acute Lymphoblastic Leukemia. And I'll just pull it up real quickly. Uh, they are having a ma major focus on the late effects uh, facing all the children that survive ALL and now become teenagers, college students, young adults. They join stupid cancer 
happily alive with the consequences of cure. And this conference is really a, a great, I guess it's a good bridge between the pediatric world and the young adult cancer world. Is that the direction it's headed, more of like a thematic? It's a spectrum now. I mean, I, no spectrum. The word spectrum has a connotation to it. But it, it's really like this whole, it, there's a continuity now. There's a continuum now where it's not pediatrics and everything else. It's pediatrics, adolescents, young adults, and then everything else. And it's a sign of the times that we're, there's so much survival in, the, in children's cancer now. Um, ALL is like 95% five-year free, and, and even brain tumors and sarcomas are doing really, really well compared to where they were when I was diagnosed in the Stone Age of 1995. But it has yielded an entirely new generation of survivors who were living with side effects from being treated. And now we can learn from what people like me have, have to deal with chronically and treat children better or differently or even make them or their parents aware of what's in store for them later in life, which gets them through any chronic diseases, it gets them crossed through pre-existing condition factors, and uh, it's a really, it, it's a stunning shift in the way that academic research, white papers, publishing, and thought leadership is being done in oncology with uh, oncologists, radiologists, hemonks, uh, navigators, oncology nurses, oncology social workers. So everyone hop on over to SAYAO.org. That is the Society for Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology. We should be very proud. This is a huge milestone for everything we've been fighting for for almost eight years now in the young adult cancer movement. So a really big deal. Um, so that's that. That's kind of our, our pink washing pink nausea for the uh, opening segment. But now I'm really thrilled because we're going to be welcoming back to the Stupid Cancer Show a very, very special woman. Zipporah Razor, cure up here, was initially diagnosed in 2012 with stage 3 inflammatory breast cancer, now in treatment for stage 4 metastatic inflammatory breast cancer. Upgrade! Zipporah writes a blog on Huffington Post called Cancer Mess with the Wrong Bitch. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the one and only Zipporah Razor. Hi. Hello. Welcome back. How you doing? Thank you. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. It's like you went from iOS 7 to iOS 8 of breast cancer. Right? <laughs> yeah, I have as many kinks as it does. I know. Well, it's great to have you back. I'm really, really thrilled. Sorry I couldn't make it in studio this year, but I hear you're – we forgive you for calling in from Connecticut. That's okay. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Right. So you're coming up on, you know, almost uh, two and a half years now, right? Two years yeah. ago? So let's let's start from scratch. So your life as of – phenomenally awesome woman in 2011 led to some interesting things that happened in 2012 let's discuss um well i yeah my life as a phenomenally awesome woman was um going just fine in in 2012 and, and 2011 and um uh, it actually was one of the best years i've ever had as an adult and um in january 2012 i just i started to not feel well and i um i didn't know what was up. I didn't get sick very often. I was very, very healthy. And I actually said to a friend of mine, I think this is the year I'm going to get sick, not thinking anything beyond like the flu or something. And um, I started. Famous last well, yeah. <laughs> I don't have the Famous flu. Um, yeah. I actually, the last time I was on the show, I had the flu and bronchitis. Um, so knock on wood, no flu this year. Um, but uh, just, I think about a week into the new year in 2012, I started to notice 
symptoms of inflammatory breast cancer, changes in my breast, a swelling, um, a rash, um, dimply skin, inverted nipple, like classic textbook um, symptoms. And I, I had just started running again after taking a break from an injury, and I thought maybe that had something to do with it. So I went to Dr. Google, and I said, can running cause one breast to grow? And um, everything that came back was inflammatory breast cancer. So it was basically just like a big, you know, shining arrow pointing at me saying, you have inflammatory breast cancer. So I went to the doctor, and fortunately I had chosen a doctor that had seen inflammatory breast cancer because a lot of uh, doctors can go their whole careers without seeing a case of it. And my doctor knew what it was, and that's where, you know, the quote-unquote good luck um, stopped because I was young, I was 30 at the time, and didn't have health insurance, I couldn't get a mammogram or an ultrasound to confirm the diagnosis. And so I had to wait two weeks. What? Is that because of insurance? Well, because I didn't have insurance. So the my oh. doctor tried to get me into places that had offered free mammograms, and no one would accept me because I was too young. Like, my doctor is on the phone. I'm sitting there in the... Um, reception area in the waiting room and my doctor is going this girl has breast cancer (laughs) like basically like saying like you need to get her in so I can get an official diagnosis and start her on treatment and they're like sorry she's too young for cancer and it's just like it was mind-boggling um so I had to wait two weeks um to finally get the mammogram and ultrasound even though inflammatory breast cancer doesn't usually show on a mammogram but if you are looking for it you'll see it I guess um, so I got the mammogram and started treatment. I had the standard uh, chemo, surgery, radiation, end of 2012. Um, thought I was cancer-free. I was feeling pretty good. Started off the new year on um, tamoxifen, which is a hormone therapy. And literally um, exactly a year after my initial symptoms started, I um, had new symptoms. I had pain, and which led me to the doctor and to scans, which showed the cancer had spread to my sternum. So um, I had switched treatment at the time and switched oncologists because my oncologist was not living up to um, my standards. And uh, so was on the treatment for um, until this this past August when I had scans that showed progression and um, significant progression, significant enough to change my treatment again. So now I'm on, I'm still on hormone therapy, but now I'm also on an oral chemo. I I want to point out one of the most interesting things that um, I I finally think, and Kenny made a really good point during the opening, is that have we maybe reached a saturation point of breast cancer awareness to the point where people are actually paying attention to what it means now and that, there is no one breast cancer. There's yeah. like 40 different kinds of breast cancer. Um, what is the difference mainly between inflammatory breast cancer and regular breast cancer? And then, of course, there's stage 3 breast cancer versus stage 4 breast cancer. And then we go back to my, my co-host, our good friend Andy Goodman, with BRCA and triple negative. There's, there's so many almost like mathematical permutations. Right. Can you talk to what you're aware of and what you know? 
um, inflammatory breast cancer, it's different because it has actual visible symptoms. It rarely presents with a lump. I actually had a lump, but it was a second type of breast cancer. So I really hit the jackpot, and I had two breast cancers in one breast because <laughs> um, I'm that awesome. And um, mm-hmm. it, so it, it has visible symptoms, no no lump, and because it doesn't present until it reaches the skin so you can actually see it, it's never, as far as I know, found before stage three. So basically you're already at stage three when you have inflammatory breast cancer. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, so that's kind of scary to think about. And one of the statistics, which I really don't like statistics because there's so many factors that go into them, and um, but the statistics say that inflammatory breast cancer is the most rare type of breast cancer, but those of us that have it are, you know, we, and the doctors too, we say it's more the most misdiagnosed because the symptoms are almost exactly the same symptoms as an infection, which a lot of women that um, have recently had kids or who are breastfeeding, they get um, mastitis, like the infections, and they write it off, their doctors write it off, and then by the time anyone realizes, hey, wait, this isn't an infection, it's already spread to stage four because it starts at stage three, where else are you going to go? And so it's at stage four, and, you know, that's it. So technically, though, just frankly speaking, you were lucky in the sense that you were able to, I mean, it, it was a case where Dr. Gould actually yielded the right scare tactic that got you right. to the right doctor who listened to you and got you diagnosed properly within a reasonable period of time. That's fairly uncommon. I, I literally went through, I don't even know how many pages I went through to find something that might say, yes, running caused my breast to swell. But everything else, page after page after page, was inflammatory breast cancer, get to a doctor now. And so it did. I mean, it's, you know, because it has those visible symptoms, it's, I mean, it's it's scary, but, you know, it, it's, uh, I don't want to use the word, like, easy, but it's just, like, it's easy to see, so it's just, and I definitely don't want to use the word better, but, you know, a lump, sometimes it's just, you find it by chance, like, Annie found hers by chance. Right. A lot of women find theirs by chance, but this is just, like, it's literally in your face, like, you can't get away from it, and... Um, so, yeah, so Dr. Google saved me that one time. He's not been so great since then. <laughs> right, agreed. So uh, I was asking Mallory, who's here in studio, what her life was like in her perception of Breast Cancer Awareness Month before she started working for us. So you were just living your life, being a regular person. Uh, clearly, Breast Cancer Awareness Month has been a thing for a very long time. Obviously, it means something very different to you right now, and you're very proactive in uh, representing how the youth are reacting to it, but but had you ever bought anything pink by accident, just thinking you were helping? Um, honestly, like I don't remember. You know, I I feel like I've been so immersed in the cancer world for so long that I don't remember. But I, I do remember my very first experience with thinking how real breast cancer was was when I was in high school. There was a teacher, a male teacher, who died from breast cancer, and that was the very first. Um, experience I have with it because men get breast cancer too, and then um, yeah. right, so and they get, you know, a, they a, there's a I have a friend who you know he's dealing with breast cancer now and he's getting the same treatment that women are getting and as far as I know men have different you know 
plumbing, as they say. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of just weird to think that, you know, they're giving him the same things. But, um, yeah, I really don't remember Pinktober. I don't, I don't think I ever called it Pinktober before I got cancer. But now, I, you know, it's, it's always Pinktober and it's, it sucks. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm sure I must have bought things in the past thinking either I was, I, I'm not a big fan of pink, so I never really would have bought something just because it was pink, but I like to help. So I probably bought something thinking that I was helping now, of course, knowing that most of the stuff that's out there doesn't help in the way that we'd like it to. Right. So let's get into that a little bit. I mean, I, I'm really thankful that you're calling in tonight and sharing the story, but you were an example of you know, there's a young women with breast cancer world and there's a young adult world. And I, I don't conflate the two. I kind of, they're all part of the same community. Mm-hmm. But there's such a different attitude in young adults with any cancer towards ribbons and wristbands and colors and body parts. And it, it sort of takes away the value that you might have to someone dealing with fertility that didn't have breast cancer, but another cancer. And I hate the idea of pigeonholing people based on what they have, but just your irreverence, I mean, alone, your Huffington Post uh, blog is called Cancer Mess with the Wrong Bitch. That's a mm-hmm. great attitude that I don't think we see a lot outside of our generation. What's been your response from the world um, since you started blogging? Well, I, I agree. Like the, the experience that I've had with, you know, older women with breast cancer, um, it, the, and this is just from my experience. I don't want any anyone to like bite my head off for it. But from my experience, the older women are more they tend to be kind of more like woe is me. Like I got to this point in my life and now this happens and then I feel like the younger people we tend to be more pissed off. Like really? Like I was just starting my life and you're gonna throw this at me? And so it's kind of just more angry, but like a like a good angry because it helps us fight. But um yeah, there's definitely a difference in how um we react to it and how we fight it. And so to lump us all, uh, lump, probably shouldn't use that, um, in <laughs> together um, with just one color and one ribbon, it, it just, it does a disservice to so many, and not just with breast cancer, with other types of cancer, just to everyone fighting. There's just so many different layers. And to just have us all be identified by this one symbol, it, it's just, it's wrong. And obviously that is a, a highly shared sentiment, but yet still it exists. We have to accept it. And uh, what do you make of it these days? Do you feel like, and again, it's only technically been like two years for you in that sense, but again, going back to where, where Kenny made a really great comment at the top of the show, uh, is has it reached a saturation point? The NFL going pink, pink porta potties. You know, it, it's it, it, ridiculous. Craig, Craig, it is ridiculous. How do you combat that? What, what What's your attitude or your, how do you communicate with your friends and family, your community around this really disruptive take on something that we're just so so used to? It's embarrassing. I, you know, I'm not good at holding back. I'm very honest, and I will tell you if something pisses me off. So, um, you know, when I was first diagnosed, a lot of people, my I have a great support system. My friends are fabulous, but, you know, everyone brought me pink ribbons and pink this and pink that and those like save the tatas cups and everything like that and especially since i was upgraded to stage four you know they know that that is not helping you know i tell them you know if you want to donate 
this is the the link to go to to give money, you know, Metaviver and, and the Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, you know, give directly there because we need money for research. We don't need to give more money to these companies that profit off of off of our cancer. Um, and I think the message got through to my friends because I actually am getting emails and <laughs> Facebook messages with pictures of things, but it's more ironically. They're like, can you believe this or get a load of this? So they're still sending it to me, but it's not like, wow, do you want this? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. And, and, and my, is it offensive? I mean, it's almost comical at this point because people send us the same things all the time anyway also. And, you know, I, I just go back to how we launched that crazy technology Tumblr a while ago just to see what it was like the people of Walmart for breast cancer products. And it was so ridiculous to see how many different things, it was like yeah. guns have gone pink. And again, the, you can't really beat the pink water potties. I think, that water potty was hysterical, but it was offensive. And um, yeah. I, I, it does get offensive because especially living in the cancer world, it's like, okay, so you are using, you know, it's like people, people that aren't in the cancer world wait all year so they could make their product pink just so they could highlight right. it. And just say, oh, yeah, well, we're supporting breast cancer, but are you really? And then a lot of people are very vulnerable or they just don't have the time or the desire to actually look into these organizations and see if they actually are supporting breast cancer. So what were the last blog posts that you wrote about? Um, I wrote about um, metastatic breast cancer. Um, I think my last two were about that. (laughs) My last two posts were about that because there's a lot to say about it. Um, what did I write about it? <laughs> I know I got a lot of um, a lot of backlash from it. Um, I don't remember. I, and all I was 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 telling my story, and just um, basically just you know saying it can happen to anyone. You know, everything's now. It's all about early detection and mammograms and all that. And like, yes, go get your mammogram. You know, check yourself. And early detection might lead to you know better survival rates and all that. But at least like thirty percent of people that are diagnosed at like even stage zero, stage one, at an early stage, will eventually become metastatic. And a lot of people got like, like I I try to talk about that because that's awareness. You know, that's we don't. It's not pink. I think the the colors for metastatic breast cancer are like teal, and 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 it's you know it's totally different. But it's not something that people want to hear about because they don't want to think that they could be in that group. They're like, well, I found my cancer early, so I'm in the clear. And you know, that's not how it is. Not for everyone. So I talked about that, and a lot of people got really upset. And I'm like, you know, sorry, not sorry, but that's reality. Wow. So let's take the next couple of minutes. We're going to wrap up this segment in, in about two or three minutes here. We are a young adult cancer organization. You are a young adult. And I think it's always relevant to continue to make the argument that cancer in young adults is very different. Mm-hmm. And for obvious reasons to us, but perhaps not obvious reasons to the general public. And with all the... um you know, just emphatic passion that you bring to the cause in general. Let's talk about what is specifically unique to you as a young woman. Um, geez. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
That's I, not a 75-year-old woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> I am definitely not a 75-year-old woman, even though I feel like it right now. My body definitely feels like it. Um, it does. It. <laughs> I, you know, I like what I was saying before, how like with with younger people, we tend to be more, uh, maybe angry wasn't the right word to use. We tend to be more feisty, I guess. And, um, you know, I I think for me, like I I took my diagnosis and my treatment and all the effects and I'm trying to turn it around and I'm trying to help people. You know, I'm definitely not a what was me person. And if I can do some good with what I do, you know, great. Um, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to do. What is your, so again, all right, so let's, let's wrap up here in a sec. So what is your message to, uh, obviously we've discussed a lot tonight, metastatic breast <laughs> cancer, inflammatory breast cancer, uh, upgrading from stage three to stage four. What is your takeaway? What would you like other women to learn from your experience who may or may even not have breast cancer? And then I have a final post question. I just think that, you know, life in general is unpredictable. You know, just, you know, you could be going about your your day and then all of a sudden, hey, your boob is big. And it's, you know, just kind of don't, like, shy away from the changes even if they're negative because you can turn them around into something positive and you can make a difference even while you're you know when you're fighting for your life you could still be helping other people and that's what we need to do we need to you know band together and um there's strength in numbers and we need to you know we need to weed whack our way through all the pink crap and get the message out there that, you know, it's not about awareness anymore. We're aware. It's about research and it's about finding, you know, a cure ultimately. And the best way to do that is to share your story and put yourself out there and be willing to be studied and be a part of the change in cancer. Well, you actually answered my last question for me. I was going to ask you, does pink matter? And you kind of said it, it does and it doesn't, right? Right. I mean, and there are, you know, there's a, a a percentage of the population where they just don't, they just don't care. They see the pink and they're like, fine, it's, you know, it's breast cancer. Um, and, right. but if they donate because of that, then fine. But some people see pink and are just like, oh, we're so over it. Don't they have enough? And, like, no, right. we, we won't have enough until we have a cure. Right, exactly. Well, thank you so much again for coming back, returning champion Sephora Razor, diagnosed Woo-hoo. with stage 3 inflammatory breast cancer in 2012. Uh, good luck with all your scans. Please keep in touch. We know you uh, are very close to heart here in the organization. So uh, good luck to you, and have a wonderful fall and uh, holiday season. Thank you. You too. All right. Sephora Razor, everyone. All right, Kenny, let's set up the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Meetups happening. New York, New York, Davis, California, Jacksonville, Florida, Raleigh, North Carolina, Anchorage, Alaska, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Cancer is lonely, and we've got a cure for that. Yes, we're talking about Instapeer. 
our free mobile app that brings instant, anonymous, one-to-one peer support to anyone affected by any cancer, including caregivers. Visit instapeer.org and sign up to join our beta testing community for free and immortalize yourself on the app as a beta squad backer with a tax-deductible donation of $500. That's instapeer.org. All right, we've launched a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive, and we're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.org, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start, and medical fundraiser. Our very own Annie Goodman here at the Stupid Cancer Show did it, and you can too. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.org to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. All right, it's always a good time to stock up on Stupid Cancer Gear. Visit StupidCancerStore.org at any time. Stay nice and cool with all new products and styles to choose from. That is stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer News. That was my favorite time. It's like Christmas in October, but it's pink. I'm so happy to welcome back to the show the folks from Breast Cancer Action. Dr. Angela Wall is uh, Breast Cancer Action's head of strategic communications and media relations, once a university lecturer, online advertising strategic planner and writer for an underground newspaper. She's always held an active and passionate interest in women's health and equality. And joining her is Annie Sarter, uh, BC Action's national campaigns and policy advocate leader. Her activist background includes environmental and social justice campaigning to, sh- to slow climate change, Demand corporate accountability. Yeah, good luck with that. And stand up for the rights of people most impacted by greed and inequality. Please welcome my two favorite people on earth, Dr. Angela Wall and Annie Sarter from Breast Cancer Action. Ladies. Hello. Thanks for having us. Good evening. It's, it's, it's like our, our, our anniversary every single year. <laughs> I know. It feels like that. How are you, Matt? It's great. It's hard to believe it's been a year, but here we are back in Pinktober. And, and like I said, you guys kind of carry the big pirate ship flag for the entire month, and we always look up to that. Well, thank you. <laughs> we admire you right back. <laughs> thank you. So let's let's start by uh, you know every year we we just we have all new listeners of course every year. So why don't we just get to the origins of breast cancer action? Uh, the late and wonderful and powerful Barbara Brenner uh, began this organization a while ago. Talk us through the history. So. Um, Cancer Action, indeed, did begin almost, we're about to head into our 25th year. Next year, we will be hosting major pomp and circumstance with lots of celebrations to celebrate our 25 years of um, presence in this world. And Barbara Brenner, indeed, was our um, first full-time founding, first full-time executive director. She passed away last year, um, not from breast cancer, but from um, ALS. And you know, was a, a a a flagship of how to take take control and how to demand change in the world right up to the end. And breast cancer action actually began with about eight women who were either living with or you know in late stage breast cancer, who were just sick. Some of them quite literally sick to death of. Um, not having access to information, 
not uh, not really appreciating what was being done, feeling like not enough was being done to stop and address breast, stop and end breast cancer, um, that not enough was focusing on prevention, that there wasn't enough kind of accountability in terms of drug treatments and so uh, and clinical trials and the, who could get treatment and who couldn't get treatment. Um, they, you know, it's always been a, they've always had it. They had a social justice interest, and so that was kind of it was like basically eight angry women who just decided to take the matter into their own hands. And, you know, that uh, is a kind of a, a core kind of component of this organization today, that what we do is we try to rabble-rouse and we try to encourage people at a grassroots level to stand up, say enough is enough, and actually start making the call and making the demands for what we need to, to make some serious change. We're 30 years into this kind of pink-ribbon BS and what we see for it is a lot of corporations making a lot of money and very little really changing when it comes to the number of women and some men every year who are diagnosed with this disease. So part of what I love most about you guys is you, you don't just walk the walk, you talk the talk, and you actually get things done. And too often people want to be advocates for change and they just march and do nothing and nothing ever happens and it's the same old thing every year. But you have had such incredibly successful shift-changing campaign efforts in the past couple of years. And I want to highlight a few of them before we get to what you're up to, changing the world in 2014. Um, I can't help but, and I refer to this all the time, the Yoplait fiasco incident of 1812. Can we talk about that? Well, you know, Yoplait was, you know, what we defined a classic. We coined this great term, pinkwasher, which fabulously now you'll see all over the place. And so it's great. You know, it, it, it calls attention to this lack of transparency and accountability when people slap a pink ribbon on it and on a product and then tell people, hey, buy this and we'll donate something towards breast cancer. And if you can see the amount they're going to donate, well, good luck, because usually it requires, you know, buying a boatload of them to make a dent. So Yoplait had this, what they thought was a fabulous campaign, Yoplait yogurts, pink ribbon on it. We're going to, you know, basically you had to eat like big three yogurts daily for like three months to actually have them send, I don't know, $20 to whichever organization it was they were going to support. And then lo and behold, we did some kind of, you know, looking around and digging around, and there we find that the actual dairy, the milk that they're using, actually contains the recombinant bovine growth hormone, which lo and behold, has actually got serious links to causing breast cancer. And so this, you know, wait, hold on, so wait a minute, you, you want to support and stop women from being diagnosed, but at the same time, you're going to make money from a product that actually contributes to causing an increased risk of the disease. And so we mounted this campaign. We, you know, stirred up our members who it's very easy to stir up, um, and they sent letters in. We managed to contact General Mills, which is the owner of um, Yoplait, and within within a few weeks, they'd actually um, declared that they were going to um, – Take the stop using RBGH in the dairy. They were going to use dairy from non-RBH um, injected cows, and then lo and behold, a few months later, Dannon followed suit. The big, you know, maker of yogurt, Dannon, and then what that meant was like two thirds of the dairy market uh, was then RBH free, which was a huge win for us, because you know one of the the, the great kind of platforms that we've 
kind of always championed is that we need prevention. You know, it's, it's, we're not going to really stop diagnoses until we actually understand what causes women to get sick in the first place. And so that was one of our um, very proud moments. And the other proud moment, which we kind of have to mention, is when um, the Susan G. Komen for the Cure nonprofit had a perfume. And uh, well, let's talk about that. Well, it's so worthwhile to discuss this. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. so um, Komen came out with a, a perfume called Promise Me. We... You know, and, and there's, there's, regardless of, you know, we had the perfume independently tested. Lo and behold, it comes up that in the fragrances, which are, a, you know, fragrances are a nice little kind of um, closet of a, of, a, of a term when it comes to trademarking because you can actually put whatever you want in, 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 in ingredients in, into a, a fragrance and call it fragrance. And nobody, you have never have to tell anybody what's in there because it's uh, your trade secret which makes your perfume whatever it is or your product whatever it is that's special to you and unique to you. Um, and so we had it independently kind of um, examined by researchers and, and a, a lab. And lo and behold, they find out that, you know, in the, the fragrance are actually, again, you know, chemicals and toxins that are, lo and behold, linked to an increased risk of breast cancer. And even even without this, you know, anybody who's been around anybody who's had any kind of cancer diagnosis who's going under any kind of treatment knows that you are particularly sensitive to smell and you have heightened sensitivities. And so why the hell they would have made a perfume anyway that would make people going through treatment incredibly uncomfortable and add to this you know, like there's not enough discomfort. And so it was just, it was ludicrous on so many fronts. And so the, the, and the, the main issue for us was that it actually contained ingredients that were linked to causing the disease. And for a coma to do that just seemed absolutely too egregious to to even believe. And so, you know, we, we love our we love coming up with campaign names. So we, we launched our Razor Stink campaign, and indeed our members and lots of people across the U.S. did indeed Razor Stink. And Komen had planned to uh, bring out a second, a second iteration of this perfume the following year. And we were demanding that they took it off the shelves. They said that they didn't take it off the shelves, but it dwindled, and we don't really hear much about it anymore. And they actually came out with a press release saying that, you know, we believe in our product, and other than you know, and blah 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 blah. But the the, the great news is that it 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 stopped being something that they marketed, and we believe that um, they've stopped making it, even though they've never actually said that they have. But that would require again, a confession. You get stuff done, that, that, and that's really impressive. We do. That things get done. So let's start with. So first of all, you you've had the campaign thinkbeforeyoupink.org for a long time now. Clearly, one of the best rhyming schemes in all of advocacy. <laughs> so let's um, let's start with that. And now, clearly, all these campaigns are falling under the umbrella of that under breast cancer action. Um, what do you got for us? I, I downloaded your PDF. There's a lot of amazing things on here. Let's get started at the top. What are your biggest efforts for 2014? Yeah, thanks. And, yeah, so so this campaign is really building on our past success. You know, we've just talked about the successes that we've had in the past, about pinkwashing becoming a household word, people understand following the money, about pink ribbon marketing. 
we've exposed the hypocrisy. And this year we really wanted to take a step further and go beyond, you know, more than one product or one example and, in essence, take down the pink ribbon marketing and culture industry um, because we see it as as a big distraction. So this, this campaign tagline is Stop the Distraction. And we see there being a number of reasons that the big pink ribbon culture is distracting. And they include pushing, you know, empty awareness, trinkets that don't do anything or raise any money for breast cancer, spreading misinformation to women. There's a surprising amount of products that uh, give women bad medical advice. Pink <laughs> um, Ribbon products that profit off of breast cancer, corporations that are making money using breast cancer awareness slogans. We just talked about pink washing being one of the big problems that we see. And we also see pink ribbon promotions degrading women, reducing women to, you know, save the boobies or save the tatas, which we find incredibly offensive. Um, and lastly, we're, we're talking a lot about the tyranny of cheerfulness or, you know, generally using pink ribbon campaigns to hide the harsh realities of this disease. So this campaign is about shifting from the pink ribbon culture that is so deeply problematic and turning instead to action. So, again, stop the distraction. Well, and clearly, yes. And, and I, I, I do want to go back because at the top of the show we were discussing some of the more novel things that are happening this year that really didn't happen last year. Do you feel in any way, shape, or form that we may have hit a saturation point where the public is sick of this and now there's backlash and it's not having the same impact it used to have? Well, um, you know, I would, I would say, I would wonder what we mean by impact because when you go to the origins of the Pink Ribbon, the Pink Ribbon was started by, I believe, Estee Lauder Company for the purpose of making money. Originally, there was a salmon ribbon that was started by women living with breast cancer, uh, and it had a very grassroots origin. And that was very quickly co-opted, to be frank, as a corporate marketing tool. And, you know, I, I don't disagree that some women, you know, take solace and friendship and solidarity from the pink ribbon, and we certainly don't have a problem with that. We see, we see the roots of the problem being in corporations using the pink ribbon to, to make money, to profit, in some ways to actually harm women. Um, you know, with, with, with a number of examples that I just named, but, you know, one great one is spreading of misinformation about the disease. So, you know, I, I think that people can certainly get good things out of the pink ribbon, but I, I question its impact. Totally, from the beginning. One of the um, efforts that caught my eye this year that you guys are working on is you're taking on Coles. Can we talk about that campaign? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're taking on a number. I mean, there's a number of the the the, the thing about this campaign is, you know, there's we we're every year we we you know we come out with a campaign and then we we you know for every campaign 
the idea that we have is, you know, during the years, you know, during the months, like, you know, we basically start thinking about this in March. And for every idea that we can come up with, there's a hundred more. And so whenever we launch the campaign, we always hear from, you know, women and members and people just, you know, strangers, members of the public across the, uh, across the country who are just like, you know, well, I saw this, this, this really pisses me off, or I saw this, this is degrading, this is, you know, and so one of the, the, the kind of the beauty of this year is that, you know, for each of these kind of offenses that we see that, you know, distract us from issues that will actually get us somewhere, is this, you know, there's corporate targets attached to it. So, you know, we, we're, we're basically this year, we're taking on the NFL, we're taking on NASCAR, we're taking on Coles, you know, we're taking on this huge conglomerate of, a, of an organization called um, Oriental Trading that just basically manufactures and turns out this pink tchotchke shit that's got nothing other than, you know, meaningless ways for, for corporations to sell these and, and, and kind of brand them to themselves and make money off them during this, hey, it's October, this is your chance, corporation, to make some money off those people who get sick from breast cancer. And so, yeah, Coles was, you know, this... this the horror of the original and the, the Coles campaign that came out this year was, you know, just the, the way they co-opted with their Pink Elephant in the Room campaign, which was, you know, basically a kind of a, you know, hey, you know, we're calling the Pink Elephant in the Room, um, you know, you know, selling products to, 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 to show that we care. And, and what was particularly horrific about this one was, you know, so, you know, Metaviver and, and the metastatic breast cancer community has long talked about metastatic breast cancer as the elephant in the room. And, the, you know, because nobody, nobody in, in this full world of pink and, and, and celebration of everything pink, Nobody wants to hear the story of those with metastatic breast cancer because they're they're not the you know survivors and they're not the winners and they haven't beaten this. You know they're they're the people who've you know despite the fact that they've tried really hard and had a good attitude, they have metastatic cancer, and so the the, the you know to to kind of remove remove this whole story from their campaign and remove the connection between, you know, the pink elephant in the room and 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 Metaviber and women with metastatic cancer was just horrific. And, you know, and it just ties in again to that idea of, you know, we have this perception that gets put out there with the pink ribbon of just this, you know, this happy, cheerful, perky face of breast cancer and just have the right attitude. And it just masks and hides these the, the real that that's not the reality right i mean it may be the reality of someone who's in remission and that's great i mean it, it really is fantastic and we are not going to at all step on or squash or like shit all over the quality of life of someone who's in remission because that's great and there are people who aren't and we need to not leave this entire segment of you know the breast cancer community out of the conversation, and and that's what this Coles campaign was really doing. Is there um, any federal involvement in the accountability of corporations um, leveraging this? I, I'm just completely spitballing. Has there ever been a uh, committee convened or, or some type of oversight on why this is ethical or legal or moral or, or standards? Yeah, that's you know that's a fantastic question. People ask it all the time, especially when I tell people that I work for Breast Cancer Action. You know, they talk about pink urban products. And no, there's, you know, there's no certification body about 
that decides who gets to use a pink ribbon on, to sell a product or to or for a promotion. And there's no standard, there's no oversight, government or otherwise. I like to use the example of a blue dot. Any company can put a blue dot on any no person to decide whether or not they're allowed to do so. And the pink ribbon is is like that. There's no there's no mechanism. Doesn't, it's, it, not, it's not trademark. There's no trademark around the pink ribbon. There's trademarks around the little kicking cure that Komen has. There's, you know, but that, I mean, that was the brilliant thing when Estee Lauder, you know, took this ribbon in the first place. All they needed to do was change the color from salmon to pink and hey presto, they'd got a pink ribbon, you know, and there, there's just no, there's no oversight. And And then when there is attempted oversight, which happened in Massachusetts a few years ago, where there was kind of efforts to look into organizations that claimed to make contributions around certain, you know, campaigns. And, and you know, uh, 5013 organizations or nonprofits had to register, I think, 10 registered. And so there's no one, you know, the whole problem of oversight is just so huge and vast that even, you know, it's like any kind of regulation when it starts to require people to sign up or release records or, you know, reveal what products, what, what chemicals are in their products. It's all on those particular organizations or corporations to come forward with that information. And half the time, it doesn't actually benefit them to do so because they're going to lose a shitload of money if they do that. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly, this is I love the fact that you call it Breast Cancer Industry Month and not Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I, I would never have thought to, uh, you know, put those words in that order, but I think it sums it up pretty clearly. Um, were you at all involved, or what's your awareness of the 2011 documentary film Pink Ribbons, Inc.? Yes, that is us. Um, we actually had a lot of involvement in that film, so... The film is actually based on a book by the same name, Pink Ribbons, Inc., by a wonderful um, woman named Samantha King. And as she was writing her book, she had many, many conversations with the late Barbara Brenner. And Barbara and she became good friends. Um, and Samantha was, you know, just appalled, appalled at what she was seeing and uncovering as she looked at basically the the corporatization and the profiteering around, you know, charities and philanthropy related to breast cancer. And so um, Samantha wrote her book, it got published, and then a, a, a fabulous woman named Ravida Din, who worked for um, the National Canadian Film Board, picked up the book, who had had been diagnosed with breast cancer herself, picked up this book and had been wanting to make a kind of whistleblowing film that kind of talked about where where is all this money going? What is actually, what what, are, what is all this pink stuff really doing to benefit women with breast cancer? And so put this film together um, and, you know, Barbara Brenner was interviewed. She was part of it. She, we, you know, we provided a lot of materials that were used and a lot of resources um, and it's a great film with a lot of you know kind of very you know lifelong activists women and men who've just been committed to pulling back you know this pink curtain um, so that people can see the truth behind you know these these even the huge walks and runs and just how much money 
goes into producing and and arranging them and you just look at it and it's like what could we do with that much all that money and it's all about you know it's basically a lot of them are about promoting the organizations that are actually sponsoring the walks and runs and and, and the the kind of you know the products and the um you know the the promotions themselves it's it, you know these these are these are corporations they these are for profits a lot of the people involved in these kind of, you know, awareness campaigns and the, this this promotion campaigns, and they're, they're not in the business of women's health. They're in the business of making money, and it's a huge difference. And it's really important to remember that. And it's something that the yep. film really mm-hmm. highlights because it talks about Pink Ribbons Incorporated. Right, and you can. You, I think it's available on either Netflix or iTunes. Uh, yeah, Pink Ribbon. Yes, uh, definitely. It's very worth available. The and if anybody Definitely has trouble right. finding it, contact us. We'll we'll put you yeah, in touch with it. Do. It's on Netflix. You know, the anvil gets dropped every now and then when you think about exactly how much money is raised in October versus there not being a breast cancer awareness month and compare that number to how much funding there is from the government for breast cancer research, which is a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And you know, does it matter is always a conversation, but the flip side is well, every dollar matters and if you have to spend two to make one, is it worth it? And, you know, so trying to take the devil's advocate side of, of the conversation here, what's been your response when people try to make good out of, out of this and, and does it really make a difference? Yeah, I would say I would say that our response is give directly and ask ask your friends and families and networks to also. I think there's we have a lot of examples of pink urban products that don't give any money to breast cancer, you know, concern about breast cancer research or otherwise. And some examples where they do, Kohl's is a great example of a tiny, tiny relative amount going, you know, compared to the amount of money that's being raised for Kohl's. And if people had just, instead of, you know, spending $50 at Kohl's and then getting a $10 reimbursement to use at a later date, which would then trigger Kohl's giving $1 to breast cancer research, give 50 bucks to a breast cancer organization that you care about. Give $50 directly. Yeah, I I echo Annie's, you know, and and I actually think, I'd go a step further and say, I actually think it does matter where the money comes from because usually the strings attached. And I think, you know, where the money comes from is I think uh, you know why it went when 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 people when, organ- when when we need to understand how to help prevent this disease, and there's very little government oversight around you know say you know which chemicals or which toxins go into our products when we we clearly need you know stronger regulation around those kind of issues, then where who who's funding what actually matters because if uh it's general electric and, and the manufacturer of you know the mammography screening devices that are um you know that are funding a huge get screened campaign no shit they're sponsoring a no sh- you know it's it's their business you know, right. but but yeah. it's a very different question when you're saying, okay, so you know, and 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 this, you know, we need to get more screening into you know low-income communities or you know communities where there's very little access. Well, great, that's all well and good screening, you know, low-income populations or women that don't have access or didn't have access to healthcare, but having a screening, di- you know, having having a screening mammogram, 
and getting a, a result is one thing. What do you do after with when with that result? What you know, the, you have to have some kind of follow up plan. So, so that that's the kind of separation right there between what the corporation does versus what government healthcare dollars will do. Because you know, this is this is that we need to treat the whole disease, not just the diagnostic part. And so I would say it does matter where the money comes from. And that, you know, this is the, the, the more that this is put on the backs of philanthropy and charities to raise money, the less the government will put to it and needs to. And, you know, this is, this is a long history. You know, like we can go into the history of this back to Ronald Reagan when we started kind of privatizing and corporatizing philanthropy because there's people out there who are willing to fund it. And it's, it's, it, it matters. It changes what happens? Who gets funded? What kind of research gets funded? Who, who's the, who are the beneficiaries of the funding? It, 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 it matters. I also want to chime in that my elephant in the room is, is the genetic nature of cancer now as we've been making all these radical new discoveries and drug developments and immunotherapy where medications for breast cancer aren't coming from breast cancer research. They're coming from general cancer research. Mm. So is there really going to be eventually a need to have disease-specific research? And that is a major conversation in mm -hmm. the adolescent and young adult communities because mm -hmm. we're the ones that are now benefiting from all these genomic solutions that are irrelevant to what cancer we have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like in personalized individual medicine, and this is this is something that we have been advocating for for years. And and again, you know, you you follow the money, and you start to look at why these practices get put in place, why these policies get put in place, and it's not to benefit the patients. So often, it's to affect the bottom line of either big pharma, you know, research corporations, research labs, and and nine out of ten of them are, are private. So, so yeah, we, we we have a few minutes left, and we, we can't not avoid the biggest elephant in the room, and I hate even the fact that we're giving them attention, but the KFC Buckets for the Cure gives me nightmares. And I, it's, it's worth discussing if only it makes people that much more nauseous about it. Well, and also because then I get to say, what the cluck, <laughs> which is the name of the campaign. So, yeah, you know, and that was, again, you know, and it, it's, again, another classic example of, you know, hey, where the money comes from doesn't matter. Well, you know, so, you know, Coleman, again, partners with Kentucky Fried Chicken, and for every, I don't know, enormous bucket of fat, greasy chicken, although they did then insist that they were just talking about the grilled chicken. Right. Um, yes. They're all hormone boost, you know, and there was some independent kind of farmers or physicians for fantastic food in Los Angeles who actually independently researched this and lo and behold, yeah, there's, you know, these chickens are shot up with hormones that are actually, you know, bad for our health. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the few things that we do know about breast cancer is, you know, staying healthy, you know, that there's, it, it's not simply about these things, but we do know that leading a healthy lifestyle and being able to, you know, eat healthy is something that, you know, can reduce the amount of toxins you get in your bodies, and, and that even is, and that cannot be an across-the-board kind of um, recommendation for people because we start to get into the issue of well, who has access to healthy food? But I'm not going to go down that uh, wormhole. You know, so the bottom line is, where 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 are KFCs located? They're all located with easy access in low-income communities. So what we're doing basically with this campaign, what Komen was doing was, you know, perpetuating the purchase of unhealthy food 
greasy fried food in communities where issues of access to healthy food is already an issue, where health is already an issue, where obesity is already an issue. And then they're tying a, but we're doing this for charity. And it's just, that was just horrific and egregious. And we, we called it and we called it what the cluck. I mean, because literally that was our response in the office only. Cluck wasn't the word we used and that wasn't the word or phrase that rippled around our office when we first kind of... And it was our members that brought our attention to that. We were starting to see it, and then the phone didn't stop ringing, and the emails didn't stop pinging in, because people were outraged. Rightly so. Right. So I, I want to end on a positive note, because it's, it, this is such a great conversation for the the active activist cynic who is disrupting and challenging the status quo and not accepting what's happening. But let's talk about anything positive in what you're accomplishing in terms of what are, should we be in a situation where there's something pink in front of us? What have you discovered to be the good things that are out there? Well, oh, I hate answering this question. Um, <laughs> you know, there are. So here's, here's, you know, something good that's, the money's going 100% to where it clearly states it's going, that that's a reputable organization that you believe is doing the kind of work that it needs to be do that needs to be done, that the product itself in no way is linked to or, you know, in, it, you know increases our risk of developing breast cancer or, or any kind of cancer, um, that, that a, you know, that, that this is, you know, a company that's actually seriously has a, a mission to actually support women and, and support, you know, the, the health in all those kind of wide terms of, um, of women and, 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 you know, and changing and a commitment to change, you know, but the bottom line is I would always do what I need to said earlier. I, I write a check directly to the organization that you think is, um, is doing the best kind of work. And, the other thing is always check out our web pages because I want to plug this campaign. We are trying to, with these fabulous Facebook memes that we're creating every couple of days, to really blast back against this pink distraction. And we, I just want to encourage everybody to go to the Breast Cancer Action Facebook page every day, share the hell out of it, share the cluck out of it, and get this message out there because we're seeing this change happen. I, I spent my day today going through, looking at all the media where people aren't even connected to us or, or even knowing about us, and they're telling people to question pink ribbon products, to, to challenge, the, you know, think before you pink, to, to be alert to pink washing. And that's phenomenal. People not even knowing about our organization and never referencing us who are going out doing that kind of educating and have got that message. That's what 12 years almost of people behind these campaigns, you know, and people like the people listening to this radio show, the people who are our members, they're building a movement. And change happens when we demand it. And that's what started to happen. And we're seeing it. And, um, but we need, to, we need to keep the pressure on. Well, the website is facebook.com slash bcaction or thinkbeforeyoupink.org, correct? Yep. Yep. And then one awesome. last thing, if you're sick of all this pink stuff and you want to start your own campaign, don't pink for me, go to our website, look up our fundraising page, and if you want to have your own campaign that's telling your friends and community to just bypass the pink, you can start your own campaign that's don't pink for me. God, I love to have you guys on the show. We've been talking to Angela Wall, Communications Director and Annie Sartre, Policy Campaign Coordinator 
for Breast Cancer Action. Ladies, thank you so much, as always. Here's to next year. Next year. <laughs> Here's to next year. Thank Thanks you so much lot. for having us. <laughs> okay, Pinktober 2015, here we come. Thank you so much. Okay. So, Mallory, has any of your opinions changed, or you sort of still re- retain the same hostility that we enjoy? Yeah, there's some hostility. <laughs> uh, definitely enlightening. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my so my, the cynic in me would say, you know, clearly, and I, I like the expression: the person is really smart, but the public is stupid. And it's not a character assessment on any one person, but it's so easy to just think that you're doing good things by the slacktivist nature of consumption. And that's what the advertisers prey on. And people don't want to write a check sometimes. They just want to feel like they're doing something without even having the sort of the self-wherewithal of the authority responsibility to, to make sure that what they're doing is meaningful or valuable. And I, I, if we can accept that, that that's just the way it is, I still think we're making lots of progress and lots of noise. Absolutely. You're nodding on the radio. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. All right. Any final thoughts, Kenny? Are you going to go pink? Oh yeah, everything. Gonna I'm going to. Uh, yep. I'm going to go buy uh, several pink items. Going to get a pink garbage truck, perhaps a pink fire truck, and uh, park them next to my pink house. You have a pink house? Uh, I will after the show. <laughs> okay, great. That's the best answer in the history of the show. Yep. All right. Well, that's our show, folks. Speaking of uh, all things pink. Uh, it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 322nd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Talking a sick. That's stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Sephora Razor and Dr. Angela Walton and Annie Starcher from Breast Cancer Action. Next week's show, having children after cancer. For many young adults diagnosed with cancer, the fertility repercussions of treatment are often eclipsed by the primary objective of treating the disease. Join us as we talk with Gina Shaw and Shelly Nolman as we explore the options, risks, and tough emotional and psychological issues of having children after cancer. Survivor Spotlight on Jen Rackman. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. And check us out anytime online at stupidcancershow.org and stupidcancer.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny Keene, Maureen Tweet, Mallory Rivera, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here live next Monday at 8 p.m. Have a great week, folks. Night, everybody. Multiple tours, so...